Hey everyone, welcome again to the Authentic Dad Podcast. It's David Warrench. I hope everybody's well. Today I have as a guest Chelsea King. Chelsea's a coach. She's a consultant. She's even an elected official in Oregon. And we have a very insightful conversation about how to thrive after divorce and heartbreak. She gives lots of insights regarding her story and things that she learned along the way. And also we have a really fun, fast round of questions that she answers on the spot. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks for listening. You know the drill. Consider liking, subscribing, five-starring. We appreciate all of that. My information is f-u-r-t-h-u-r.coach, further.coach, if you want to reach out. If you're interested in coaching, if you're interested in learning more about me, if you have feedback, if you want to be a guest, would love to hear from you. Hope you're doing well, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, I'm here with Chelsea King, and hello, Chelsea, how are you? Hello, I'm uh, well, thank you. I want to, yeah, let me just read your bio. She's an organizational development consultant and certified professional coach with heart-centered work, where she cultivates workplaces that honor the dignity of those who work there by developing honest and respectful communication processes. And she's also a professor at Portland State University. She taught courses in culture, race, and communication, and a publicly elected official who serves as the vice chair of the West Lynn Wilsonville School Board. She's also the co-founder of the Wilsonville Alliance for Inclusive Communities, an organization dedicated to creating a diverse, equitable, and inclusive place in Wilsonville, Oregon, where Chelsea resides with her three teenagers and a large floppy-eared dog. If that wasn't enough, she's the creator of Transmuting Heartbreak, a community that turns the pain of loss into an expanded capacity to give and receive love. She lived a chaotic childhood that had both trauma and unconditional love, poverty and creativity. And as an adult, she vowed to create a stable life for herself and her own family. And this motivated her towards significant achievement, but it didn't protect her from her own divorce, which was the most painful process she ever experienced. Movement, recovery, ritual, and the supportive community were integral, integral to her healing. Now she has moved through the pain and there's another page, but I, I seem to have put it somewhere else. But that's that's a lot. I don't. Where do we begin? You do so much. You've been through so much. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity just to have a conversation with you. Um, yeah, it's interesting just listening to you read my bio that um, almost two different worlds colliding. You know, there's that professional world that. Um, where I um, achieve and um, do all the things that I'm supposed to do. And, and then there's that really personal side that has been um, increasingly emerging from me in the, the past few years of my life, which is to really connect with the, the transmutation of heartbreak and um, step into greater authenticity in my life. And so um, that's been a transition. Yeah. I think you call that balance, you know, an elected official and and a coach and starting this um, coaching practice called Transmuting Heartbreak. You, you must be a very balanced person. I like it. It's, it's, a, it's a process, you know, like balance is not just arriving in one place and staying there. It's a, it's a small toggle between um, two places. So it's definitely what I do. So there's a lot in there. And as you know, I think you told me you listened to a couple episodes. I always want to hear the story because I think it's important. Um, and tell me, 
what comes up for you when I when I ask you to tell me your story? Yes, well, I think it's important to recognize about you know the things that came out of my bio about the chaotic childhood was that um, you know I did I was a child of the eighties, uh, mm-hmm. a largely unattended uh, child. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with um, a mom who was married four times. Uh, We moved a lot. Um, Nothing in my life stayed the same for any length of time. Um, I lost neighborhoods, schools, friendships, pets, belongings. Um, I lost, you know, a family structure that was intact. Um, There was a lot of loss. And throughout that, I vowed that that would not be my story, that I would create a different life for myself when I was an adult and for my own children. And in a lot of ways, you know, I was able to do that through just um, sheer determination and self-will and, you know, did, did things like paid my way through college and, um, met the person who I ended up marrying uh, my freshman year of college, so very young, Mm. uh, fell in love and decided to stay Mm -hmm. and decided to stay no matter what. And in fact, looking back on it now, I realized that one of the things that happens for a person when they go through so much is that our tolerance for discomfort and our tolerance for those things that don't serve us become very high. Mm -hmm. And so looking back, I realized that because I had this combination of, I will create a certain life for myself and my kids, and it will be different than how I grew up combined with a sort of like, I can handle anything. Like I, I don't need to have boundaries. I don't need to have my own needs met that those things created a condition by which I could stay in a situation that didn't actually work for my authentic nature for many, 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 many years. And it took a lot to get out of it. It sounded like you're sort of a master at like adopting to the dysfunction of the chaos around you because that's how you grew up and that's how you survived. And so, and it is a skill in a way Unfortunately, I'm sure at a certain point, which I'm sure you'll get to, it's not very helpful anymore. It probably served you in some capacity to kind of function in the world. Yes, it does. I mean, it, it's a, it provides a certain adaptability and resilience and grit and things of that yeah. nature. Um, but what I found for me is um, what emerged was a bit of a double life where I could keep the train on the tracks to achieve and to um, create a certain sort of mainstream or conventional life that I felt like was the right thing to do. But inside the things I had to do to just make it tolerable for myself uh, was sort of a slow chronic death of the heart and soul. Now, let me just say, David, none of this is to say that like things were really bad, bad, bad in my adult life or in my marriage, I want to make sure that I honor that there was a lot of beauty and a lot of healthy things. And, you know, we have three wonderful, healthy, you know, children who I'm thankful for and a lot of great memories. Um, So it's, it's a subtle, it's a nuance. Yeah. 
No, I think like sort of like a shadow self. I think Jung even said that there's like the personality one and personality two, you know, and the personality one is going to work and being a mom and making lunches and this other thing's happening. And in this other thing, whether you call it the shadow or something, I think, or the person, this other thing eventually is going to catch up and, and maybe come out in ways that we don't want it to. So I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for me sideways sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a great way to, to talk about it. And I think what happens is as a person wakes up and becomes more aware and more conscious, you know, yeah. I call it waking up it becomes harder to reconcile those two sides of oneself. And that's that greater authenticity that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. The more awareness and awake we, we are, the more awareness we have and awake we are, the more congruent we need those two parts of ourselves to be in order to truly expand yeah. our ability to, to give and receive love. And it might take 40 or 50 years to integrate all that. But it, it, yeah, it can take, it's amazing. Some people, <laughs> it doesn't take long. Right. And some people never get there. Some and, people never do. That's right. Yeah. And it's not to say that like, oh, I'm awake now. Like, you know, I've arrived. No, it's an ongoing process that, you know, continues to be engaged in much like achieving balance. How long were you married? I was married for 16 years. And the three lovely children, how old are they now? One of them is 16. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is, or um, <laughs> actually I had two for one the second time around. So the, oh. the other two are 14. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So you got divorced. Mm -hmm. How long ago was that? It has been... It's been, the divorce has been about three years since it was final. Um, it was interesting. I was listening to another one of your podcasts and the guest was talking about the year, the profound year of 2017. And mm. it really jumped out at me because that was the year also for me that, um, that I experienced this profound loss where within a couple month period, um, my marriage finally officially died, which involved, which, which resulted in the separation. Um, but also my father died and those two things happened within a couple month period. And so that really was um, a catalyst for some really profound grief and loss in my life. So timing wise, was that the catalyst? Now you, you are a coach, you created transmuting heartbreak. Did that, I assume that came out of this, this trauma, the divorce, death of your father. Yes, I, you know, heart-centered work is something I've been doing for since 2007. Um, transmuting heartbreak is a newer creative endeavor that has emerged from this process in my life. And it didn't happen immediately. You know, when, when I experienced that loss and that grief, it took about a year and a half or two years before yeah. I was able to really stand up and claim, you know, where yeah. I was day. Yeah, it doesn't take six months. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real mourning process, both losing a loved one and a divorce. I, I haven't been divorced, but I'm told it's like losing a family member because in a way it is. And there's a real mourning process, whether the whatever the circumstances of it, it's it's there's an attachment that forms to that person. Yeah. And I, I would say that um, there's some similarities and some distinct differences. Mm -hmm. You know, my father was my person. He was mm -hmm. my 
background. I actually look like him and sound like him and have his personality traits. But when my dad died and I touched his cold body in the mm. morgue, it was certain that it was over. Mm. There was no doubt in my mind that my father was gone and there was nothing I could do. Mm. When my marriage died, it wasn't just losing a person. It was losing a dream, a uh, vision for my, my life, a story, an, an identity, uh, a future, all the things I wanted to be for other people. And there was also this element of, could I do it differently? Mm -hmm. What if I had? What if he did? What if we could? all of the stories that went along with trying, trying, trying. Yeah. Whereas with death, we might do that for a bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should have been there with my dad when he died. If only I had not let him go home alone after that ER visit, maybe he'd be alive. But that can only last so long. And mm -hmm. then we really are forced into acceptance. Whereas I think with divorce, that if we don't do the work yeah. to heal, we could spend a lifetime mm -hmm. in agony of the story ruminating about a million different things over the years it sounds like potentially I, I i mean there's a lot you talk about movement and ritual and support and all these things that were healing for you i want to hear about that i i love that stuff tell me about the movement what's what's that what's that about yeah well those um practices there's really five of them there that um that i relied on and that I see working uh, in my own life and other people's lives, they really were born out of um, a workshop series that I created called Alchemizing Divorce. That mm. was the, um, the, the embryo before transmuting heartbreak was Alchemizing Divorce. And it came out of this idea of- Both amazing words, by the way, Alchemizing and Transmuting. I love the titles. No, thank you. I mean, the whole idea is to take something and-, and yeah. um, you know, work it so that it actually becomes something entirely different, right? Mm -hmm. So that pain of loss becoming expanded ability to love. So what, what it, you know, my wedding was beautiful. It was gorgeous. There were orchids and a big tall cake and the big white dress and live music and, you know, five course meals and fancy invitations and the whole traditional, very gorgeous um, wedding. Nice invitations and food and music and all the things, the presents and stuff. But when divorce happened, it was, I mean, it doesn't even warrant a social media post. Mm. You know, like it was so sort of shameful. Like there were no well, cards. Divorce parties are a thing, I'm told. They are. I've seen on television at least. <laughs> yes. And, but for me, like I was not one who wanted to celebrate my divorce. Right seen divorce parties and I something about them for me doesn't quite land solidly yeah. because while there there are reasons to honor that transition there's a lot of grief also so alchemizing divorce was a workshop where I could bring people together who had been through divorce and we could have the ritual the movement the connection the honoring of all the gifts and all the loss in a way that was public mm. We could witness one another and be witnessed as we honored that transition. Yeah, because as you said, you felt all this shame, and with with the community and group of people, was it was it just women or was it men as well? 
Only women came Only to women. the optimizing divorce workshop. The, the, I would imagine that would help reduce any stigma or, or shame when you're with a community. Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, you asked originally about movement and mm -hmm. I think it's an important question. So I want to make sure I return to it. Yeah. Um, movement was a big part of, um, of those workshops and of my own healing because, you know, there's so much now that we understand increasingly about uh, somatic practices and the ways that trauma is stored in our body. And if we don't have movement, then we're more likely to um, keep that cellular memory alive within our bodies. Yeah. And so movement for me, actually a big part of my own healing was getting into blues dancing. Blues and dancing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's really um, sensual, earthy, um, soulful type of partner dancing. And huh. so I could have touch, positive, healthy touch with dancing partners and sink into the music and move and sometimes even cry as a way to process emotion. To, to blues music. To live blues music. Live. Portland, oh, wow. we've got. I was going to say, I was like, of course you have that. So it was this like a meetup group or something at a club or how did that, how did that work? Where I, it's actually a, a community. And so a there are several blues. different places a person could go, but there was a, a location called North Hall uh, in downtown Portland or actually Northeast Portland where I would go dance. And that, the, the fact that it's live yeah. is kind of cool. Wow. Well, sometimes live, sometimes DJed, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, both. And, and so it doesn't like, for me, it was blues dancing for other people. It'll be different, different types of practices, right? For yeah. some people it's running or it's yoga or it's other forms of dance, or it's even just, um, walking, you know, walking for whatever length, like anything that gets the body moving while mm -hmm. processing emotion is a way to, you know, create healing in the body. We are very cerebral people. And uh, I was, when I, one years ago, I was a therapist for anxiety and she would ask me these questions like, well, where do you feel that in your body? And I was like, gave her like these looks, ah, what you, why are you asking me this? This is ridiculous. I don't know where I feel it in my, but now I really appreciate it. And I think it's very, very valuable question. And I completely understand. And if she's listening, I'm really sorry. I swear. I sort of, it was like, this lady's crazy. Yeah. Isn't she listening to me? It, it, is, it is such a practice and we're not re really taught how to do it. And it's something we had to have to learn how to talk about where it shows up. Because it's so direct and the body doesn't lie. And, you know, you're, it's, it's a different way of paying attention. And instead of listening to the story in your head, you're like, you know, I feel this palpitation on you know my right knee and or my heart or my breathing and it's actually very important and young David Warrench was you know basically telling this therapist like please don't ask me that <laughs> but I, I've grown well the body awareness too I mean I remember while doing the healing I would have certain trauma responses like my hands would start to tingle mm. Or I would get an adrenaline dump, which would um, land mostly in my legs, which would feel like weak knees or like agitated mm -hmm. quadriceps, you know, like hence that for me, I really needed to do a lot of walking um, or a tightness in the chest or a closing of the throat. But you were aware of it. And I think that's like, because a lot of us or I was, and I was like, I don't know. 
I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention at all to, to what was happening in my body. And it's great that you were a little bit. And I think it's important to say like, that this was, um, a, this was a process by which I arrived mm -hmm. at an awareness of my body. And it was really part of what helps me to leave the marriage was the listening to my body. Mm. My body would give me subtle messages about what was working for me. And wow. the, for me, recovery and being free of using any kind of substance, alcohol, cannabis, to as a means by which I would sort of treat my anxiety or um, kind of numb, like handle life. When I stopped using anything, mm -hmm. I no choice but to listen to my body. Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. The body can be super quiet and subtle. I do want to be clear though. Yes. You live in Portland. Yes. And I think we talked about this. I understand the no alcohol, no cannabis. You're drinking coffee. Yes. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> because coffee is very important to me. It's a very important part of my life. I understand that everybody drinks it. Some drink tea, some don't drink caffeine. I always tell them, you know, if they, if I had to stop drinking or doing any substance, they do not take away my coffee. I just want to be clear. You're still drinking that. Okay. Yes. In fact, it's my morning cup of Joe as part of my meditation practice. Uh, such a great ritual. And Portland, we've talked about this. It's just the greatest coffee town in the universe. And, I, and I've been to a lot of them, but I digress. You were talking about something very serious. I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, if we're serious all the time with these mm -hmm. things, I mean, what drudgery, I, I think play, play and humor and laughter is such an important part of this process. It is. Um, I do, I do think it's interesting what you said that once you stop with the substances um, minus the coffee is that you, well, whoa, now you can actually see what's happening because you know, that's, you're not, uh, it's not the alcohol or the cannabis. Right. There's no numbing out. And when mm -hmm. one stops, whatever it is that they're doing to numb out, whether it be online shopping or mm -hmm. pornography or you know wine or anything. When we stop that and we have to really tune into what our body is telling us, then our intuition and our wisdom grows. And the, those two sides of ourselves that you were describing, the light side and the shadow yeah. side, they must come closer if we're gonna stay awake because it takes a certain numbing out to reconcile when they're really far apart from one another. It does. And it's part of, you know, all of these, the individuation process and integration, and there's all the, you know, Jungian shadow and depth psychology. And it's a topic that I think is very interesting. And it kind of seems to me that that's what creates crisis in our lives when, when these things collide, as, as you're saying. I mean, I think that's my experience. Sounds like it was yours. If, if you don't mind me asking, did your recovery, was it like a formal you know, process? Did you see a therapist? Did you go to 12 steps or were you just like cold turkey? How did, how did that look for you? Yes, all of the above. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's um, yeah, it was a, you know, it, it's been an ongoing process and I've tried a lot of different things. Um, I do have now, I can say I'm about five years with, mm. without using any substances. That is a long time. Yeah. Uh, continuous, continuous sobriety. Um, but prior to that, I had had other like stents of time. 
You know, I think it's important for me to, to say that um, growing up in rural Southern Oregon, as a teenager, there was a lot of partying that happened. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cannabis around, even though it was not legal at that time. Probably a lot of land to grow it. There was, <laughs> yeah, and um, increasingly so. It's a it's a major industry down there. But you know, we did a lot of going up on the top of mountains and drinking, and you know, experimenting with with drugs and different things like that. And even though I think that's where the the birth of my double life occurred, mm. where I could graduate as the salutatorian and be a varsity. Oh my! Athlete. Oh wow! You were like super child. Yeah, I did. I had some sort of, um, you know, a drive to achieve, mm -hmm. um, but I could do all that while also doing all the things that I needed to keep hidden. And, yeah. and I carried forward through much of much of my life. Well, it sounds like you're still the super achiever, elected official, coach, consultant, all of the things. Um, but you're, it sounds like you're a lot more integrated. Yeah, I think that the integration I know it's a process, right? You're you know, you've reached a point where this stuff isn't um, in the shadows anymore. Isn't 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 a bigger isn't a big. I don't know what to say, how to say it. Like it's much smaller. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's the not taking chasm between the two is mm -hmm. is smaller. And I'm. Mm -hmm. I think you know when we talk about authenticity, I mean that's the whole mm -hmm. principle of the transmutation of heartbreak is to take that pain of loss and and step into greater authenticity. I think we're really capturing that when we look at ways that we can um, shrink that divide between um, basically our front and our back. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because authentic. it's called the Authentic Dot Podcast and it's one, and I wasn't sure that if I should even call it that because it's kind of a word that we throw around a lot and what does it really mean? But I think you're using part of the definition that I like and it's that we're aligned. You know, we're, we're whole, we're integrated, we're not split off. And that to me is part of, part of being authentic. Absolutely. And when, you know, in the spirit of um, the idea of like marriage and divorce, I mean, that's one of the great journeys that I do believe, you know, life partners need to navigate together if they're going to continue to create an authentic life is what, mm -hmm. what do we want our life to be like? Where, where, and this can be as much as like, where do we want to live and how do we want to celebrate holidays and how do we want to parent? But it's also, you know, the really small things like what do we, um, how do we want to communicate with each other? What is allowed to be disclosed within our relationship and what mm -hmm. must keep secret from one another? Now, when you start to get into those um, deeper- yeah, These little agreements. Yeah then um, I think if a couple is able to navigate the big and the little in a way that feels authentic and integrated, then they have great um, capacity to give and receive love. When the two people are not doing that, then there's either required some slow or acute death of oneself mm -hmm. in order to stay or a splitting apart so that they can find their authentic paths individually. Yeah. And it happens and it probably happens slowly over the years, drip by drip by drip. I sound really morbid right now. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, so you now have gone through this. I know it's a process and you're still becoming every day and it's an onion, but um, what let's, let's get a little, give us, give us some tips and tricks for, let's say someone's listening and they're going through 
the ringer with all of this divorce or recovery it's it's very painful um what's on the other side and what how do you help people what kind of tips and tricks and give us some wisdom yeah such a great question i think the biggest thing well there are several things come up for me um i think the first thing worth saying it's 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 a segue off of what we've been talking about. And that is that there's no bypassing that pain. I love that. Or that we try to bypass it, shove it down, push Mm -hmm. it aside. The the more it's going to, as you said, come out sideways. And another, another cliche that people have probably heard the only way out is through. And that one, I strongly believe in it's so true you, you really you got it whether it's just feeling a painful emotion or going through a divorce you have to go through it yeah and I think that the the feeling of the emotions is really important mm-hmm. and there's a few things I'd like to say about that I mean mm-hmm. one is that um as we've been talking we we don't participate in things that would numb us right mm-hmm. so as much as possible we get rid of um, compulsive eating or compulsive sex or, you know, too much alcohol or whatever it is that's, that we're using to treat that discomfort. We'll do it imperfectly, but if we can get rid of that and really mm-hmm. feel the emotions, be mindful of where they come up in the body. Yeah. So resting our attention and, oh, I feel sick. I just feel nauseous mm-hmm. and resting like a loving attention on that nausea. And or stay, am I staying with it? So yeah. Staying with it. Yeah. So those are the, those mindfulness, body awareness, feeling the emotions, not numbing it out. So I think that that's an important. Oh, I, I think that's so tr- Sometimes I'll talk about myself for a minute. I, you know, I, I, I do suffer from anxiety and I think sometimes that is a way rather than feeling like fear, the anxiety itself is a way to avoid the feeling, because I can just sort of ruminate on this is going to happen. This is going to, and actually, I'm seeing it as well. Wait a minute, this is really just uh, uh, no. Just you're you're afraid. Yes, and I love that you brought just that. Feel that. Because, yeah, feeling that right because anxiety. One of the things I like to do when I feel anxious is to just remind myself of where I am right now. Yeah. So grounding the body. Yep. Looking around like, okay, is there a saber toothed tiger coming for me right now? Is my house on fire right now? Is one of my children in a horrible car accident right now? Like none of those things are happening. Yeah. I'm actually safe. Yeah. What is, what is true now? It's very What's Buddhist. I love it. The other thing too, I think that you uh, mentioned is this idea of story. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I see that happens for folks when they're going through loss, particularly divorce, is to really stay in the story. And this is connected to anxiety because I think what it actually is, is some sort of false sense that we actually have control, that that we can prevent something from happening in the future, or that we could have prevented something from happening in the past. And, And it actually really lacks humility. I think I can control all kinds of ridiculous things. <laughs> Absurd. But I, I'm like, no, nah, if I just take these vitamins, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yes. And, and if a person has a spiritual practice at mm-hmm. all, and this could be anything from a tr- like conventional Judeo Christian type of theolo- theology, all the way to like the most new age, you know, approach. Yep 
But whatever it is, if a person has an idea that there is something out there that is more powerful than them, and they can relinquish some control to whatever that is, whether it be the divine or God or, you know, the goddess or anything, the one source, the more that we can let go and say, I am not in control. I am just one and I'm part of, then that can help us not only, you know, deal with anxiety, but also sink out of the storyline that puts us into blame or over-responsibility. As you can imagine, David, I love to be overly responsible. I can be responsible for everything. You're a super achiever. Right. And, and, and it's, it's a way to control. Right? But it must have been such an adjustment for you to, have to, to you know, do this work because you were so used to the driven and controlling. And I mean, you still are, you know, you know what I mean? It must, must have been difficult to to have to readjust how you, how you're thinking and living in the world. Yes. And, and I think that that brings me back to like another one of the practices that you were asking about, and that is connection. That Mm. we try to do this alone, then we're likely to just replicate the old patterns that no longer work for us. Yep. So if I came from a, a perspective in the past that if I just did everything right, and if I did everything by the book, and if I just pushed and worked hard enough, then I would be guaranteed a certain outcome. And yeah. I tried that in my marriage and I couldn't get the outcome that I wanted. So I had to learn to let go, let go, let go, just take good care of myself, let other people be responsible for themselves, do all these practices that we're talking about. And I needed community. I needed authentic connection to do that. So you talked about things like, you know, 12 steps, therapist, mm-hmm. um, you know, retreats, you know, anything that we can do like that. Yeah. So were you um, not integrating, um, let's, uh, community connection before this happened? It sounds like maybe you were living kind of on an island, more on an island than, and then this sort of brought into community, into your life, a sense of belonging and connection. I've always been someone that really, um, I'm an extrovert. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm the person who will strike up a conversation with the person in the grocery, the grocery mm-hmm. checkout line. Oh, you're that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having a great day, ma'am. Thanks for asking. No, I'm <laughs> um, and there's a difference between like having friendships and having connections and being part of a community and having really authentic, deep, meaningful yeah. relationships someone that you know or a community of people that you can show all the the warts and all yeah Yeah, the warts and all and and you know because you i think what made us arrive at this topic of the power of connection and community is that um, we need to be reminded sometimes of who we are what we want how to be where we're going and that might be a coach that you hire or a therapist um but it you know it doesn't have to be a lot of people but it's someone who has been there who knows you and Mm -hmm. can really relate to and understand not give advice but be with you in it yep now these are all 
beautiful things. I'll summarize. Ready? So we're going to put down the joint. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to maybe have a spiritual practice to relinquish some control, um, connection, community, sense of belonging, and, and all these beautiful body practices that you suggested. And I think that's right on. Mm-hmm. And if people actually integrate and practice that into their life, whether they're going through something or not, maybe your life is going great, still helpful. Yes. And, and it, that's, that was really the inspiration for creating the online community for transmuting heartbreak, mm-hmm. partly because there is that um, sometimes a fear of uh, um, authenticity, like within my own community. I mean, I'm an elected official. Yeah. So, you know, there's only so much that really I can share with the people in my immediate neighborhood. I also live in a community with, you know, my ex-husband and um, the the parents of my children's friends. And so one of the- I don't think they listen to this, by the way. (laughs) I'm safe, huh? (laughs) But the beautiful thing about the online community is, you know, this sense of it being curated and so people are coming at it from, um, you know. Uh, oh, I agree. I'm laughing because as an attorney in court, I always wanted to be like, wow, this judge is really projecting his uh, stuff on, you know, he can't say things like that, you know. Um, wait, uh, I think you went out for a second. Can you hear me? You're good? I can hear you. Oh, you're good. Um, so can we have a little bit of fun? Because you wrote uh, like some some of the topics that we were sort of emailing about. Can we just do like sort of a, a fast round where I give you a topic and give me a couple tips? It could be playful because I, I think they're fun. I want to cover them. All right. All right. All right. So Chelsea, because there's three ways to stay sexy after divorce. Hint, it has nothing to do with how you look. What are, what are they? Three ways to stay sexy after a divorce. I'm putting you on the spot. It could be whatever comes to your mind. Yes. Thank you so much for that question. Um, you know, as a divorced woman, I'm, I'm dating divorced men. Uh And one of the ways that they stay sexy and it has nothing at all to do with what they look like is Mm -hmm. the ability to have self-responsibility. That's interesting. Didn't see that one coming. Yes. So staying out of any kind of story around blame and being able to own their part and what worked and didn't work in their marriage. Interesting. I, I didn't see that coming, but that's an important skill. Yes. The other one would be really having a solid center. And mm-hmm. so I think men nowadays have, they're in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. You got to be nice. You got to be, you know, play. very confusing. Yeah. Like how, how do you masculine, but not too masculine and yeah. sensitive, but not a new age, you know, David Data talks about the new age wimps, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, whatever, whatever it is that drives you, if mm-hmm. you know it and you know where your core is, mm-hmm. then I can trust you. I can push against yeah. you solid. And also you can move toward me and mm-hmm. I can receive it. Yeah. That's really sexy. Yeah, this is a lot. This sort of gets into the the sort of polarities, you know, the the perhaps a little bit, mm-hmm. and and authenticity and confidence mm-hmm. and yeah, all of those mm-hmm. things. 
Yeah, and I see the third one. So self-responsibility, having a a solid center, like knowing where your masculine energy is and being Mm -hmm. being comfortable with it. And then having your own interests and pursuits. So creative interests or, um, you know, whatever it is that that, um, a man has that helps him feel alive Mm -hmm. and engaged with the world around them. Like that's sexy. Absolutely. And I think that's good for marriages too, for, for couples to have their own interests, passions um, outside of, of that, you know, healthy ones. You know. Totally. I mean, here's the ch- uh, tip, like the same things that are going to help a person thrive through and after divorce will help them thrive in their marriage mm-hmm. and help them stay married. Like these are just ways that a person stays alive and continues to grow and really thrives as a human being. And that keeps a person attractive, sexy, authentic, engaged. What about bald Don't men? Wait till the there, divorce there, comes to do there it. Are of, there are a lot of bald men on the market. How's it? <laughs> does that, is that, does it matter? Absolutely not. No, okay. I, I, in fact, I find myself right now um, dating somebody who is he a bald man? No, but there are other physical characteristics of that I would I had never <laughs> considered myself attracted to. Like, for example, I'm taller than him. Oh, yeah. No, I I don't I understand. I I don't think I've been very short. And when I was dating. Yeah, the tall women, they don't, uh, they want the tall, you know, not always, but that's very cool. Yeah. 2021. Right. And, and the, um, his ability to be attractive and to Mm -hmm. be desirable and to be sexy, um, has actually very little to do with what he looks like. Well, that is wonderful to hear that you're, (laughs) I don't know where to go with that, but I, I, let's, the second, the next one is how to make divorce the best thing that ever happened to you. This is, this is our, this is our um, fast round. Yes. How to make divorce the best thing that ever happened to you would be to do all of these things that we just talked about. Okay. Don't get stuck in the story. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. people get stuck in the story and then they're running over and over the tapes of who was at fault, what they did wrong how they could have done things differently, you know, how bad things are, the crappy things that are gonna happen in the future. Um, But if a person really wants to make divorce the best thing that ever happened to them, then they use it as a catalyst to heal and to grow, to get rid of um, addiction and compulsion, to build authentic relationships with people around them, to be in community and to move the trauma through their body. Um, and to really honor who they are at the core of their soul. And oh. then the divorce, it will still be maybe one of the most painful things, but it'll make a person um, have this ability to give and receive love they didn't have before. They're transmuting. This horrible yeah. thing is a gift, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it, it became a gift when you transmute and do other things. I think you've answered the next one. What makes divorced men hot? It has nothing to do with how they look. I think we covered that one, right? Yes. And your divorce sucks and you needed it to happen. Did we cover that one? 
Yes. I, I, you know, these are all really, Mm -hmm. I think, um, taglines that people could Mm -hmm. hold on to as a way Mm -hmm. to keep them connected to what this most painful experience can offer them as they Mm -hmm. live this, as Mary Oliver would say, you know, one most wild and precious life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're a Mary Oliver uh, fan. I am. Mm -hmm. So what, other so this is wonderful i always like to ask what other recommendations are there you um blues dancing sounds amazing um are there any other books or practices or anything that you love and you have to recommend or that inspired you podcasts it could be anything Mm -hmm. yes well um gosh so much there yeah uh, so you're looking for like particular names or I mean, titles? It could be nothing if there's some like book that you're like, oh, this book mm-hmm. was one of the things that inspired me or that I could read over and over again or that I recommend. And I just always like to pick people's brains because there's so much out there yeah. of the things that I've never heard of. But mm-hmm. if you got, if there's nothing that comes to mind, no problem. There, you're right. There is so much out there. And I think what's most important. I mean, you've given a lot of recommendations. Let's yeah. face it. If people find, you know, someone who they feel like is telling mm-hmm. their story, then that could be, you know, so healing. So there's um, a lot of really great um, memoirs out there. I mean, I can recommend um, books by Raphael Kushner. He talks about, you know, um, emotional connection and getting in touch with the emotions. Um, Pema Chodron was oh. a of mine. One of my favorite, yeah. Yeah, and she talks so much about just, you know, de- um, de- um, detaching from the storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the um, uh, Esther Peril has got mm-hmm. some really great material out there about intimacy. Um, uh, Glennon Melton Doyle was someone who I really liked. Yeah. Felt like she told my story. Um, Did she, is her newest book I hear is very popular. I have not read it. Yeah. Sometimes I resist um, recommending people like that who are so mainstream just because they get mm-hmm. so much attention already. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of really good content out there. So I think the most important thing is you just find someone who you resonate with. They don't have to be big and well-known. Yeah, I, I agree. There's there's a lot of like the same names. Not that they're, they're probably because they're very good names. Like Everyone recommends Brene Brown, and I think she's wonderful. But it's amazing how it's millions of people. Um, pretty much everybody recommends her that I've ever spoken to. It's incredible, yeah. actually. Yeah, and her work, her work is amazing, and yeah. she's really she's drawing from you know some pretty um, old mm-hmm. practices that existed, mm-hmm. you know, prior to her. She does a great job of telling the story of it. Um, but you know the 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 resources that help you are the ones that you connect with. And, um, and so wherever. Yeah. I, that's why I always ask that question because there's so much and I'm sure there's, I've read a lot, but there's always things that I, someone turns me on to and it's like, Oh my God, I would have never have found this. So it's cool. So um, what's going on in Port? I was like, we're going to, we'll wrap up. Is there anything else important that we didn't cover you want to say? And, I think I would just let people know, like if they resonate with any of these concepts, I mean, mm-hmm. if I tell people how to be in touch with me and yeah. my work, um, the transmutingheartbreak.com is a place someone could go to find out more about the community. 
and um, Transmuting Heartbreak is on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh-huh. And it's okay. a Facebook group. It's cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's an open page. It's mm-hmm. not a closed. Um, okay. It's not a closed community because there's actually an online community at transmutingheartbreak.com that's closed. It's curated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exclusive. Oh. But a person can follow Transmuting Heartbreak on Facebook and and go there to sign up for and the the offerings and the writings and things that I send out to my list serve. Um, and from there, also like I will share um, resources. It's it's one of those things, David. I was afraid you would ask me to tell a dad joke. Like I've heard you ask. Oh me. yeah, I stopped doing that, but you got one. <laughs> no, because as soon as I'm asked to do something like that on the spot, then I draw a blank. <laughs> um, well, I've been doing things like, "What's the weather like in Portland? What is it, by the way?" I'm I'm always curious. I don't know why. Right now, well, like, right now you're in Portland, right? Yeah. Yes, right now How's it's, it? How's it's it? lovely. It's blue skies and warm and a light breeze. I want to go back. It was so nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, dad jokes, asking about the weather, probably rename it like the old man podcast, some, something like that. Um, I want to do a coffee one. I haven't had a coffee one yet. Cause I like to get like a, a guy who's like a coffee dad. I don't know. It's gotta be from Portland. Yeah. Portland is the best. Um, I think I think that's good. So you um, you gave us your information. I'm just I'm look I'm still amazed. You're an elected official, and a development consultant, and doing all this. I mean that's 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 real balance. As as I said when we first started, and take so many skills, and there's so many people. Um, did you ever hear of IFS therapy, internal family systems? Did we talk about that? You mentioned it before, but I'd love to hear more. Um, you know, I want to do a podcast about that, but we're all have all of these different parts, you know, um, you know, we're all contained multitudes and the therapy sort of addresses that. And um, you, you just seem, what strikes me about you is this very interesting parts you have, you're goal oriented, achievement oriented, you're elected official, and then you have this heart centered work and you're a consultant and you've been through all this stuff. And it's just, these skills are pretty, pretty, um, transferable and useful for what you do you know you can I'm imagining you can sort of you have a wide social range of, of people you can connect with and I I like that yeah you're not you. narrow you're just it's a very complex um, situation here yeah it's I think one of the gifts of um, having the childhood that I had and mm-hmm. moving around so much and just oh, yeah. being exposed to a lot of different types of people um, mm-hmm. No, the resilience and the, the the survival skills, I'm sure, are you've transmuted that. So great job! I'm sure I'm sure you're still doing the work every day, you know. But it, there's no end. But that's wonderful. It's so fun. Yeah, I, I feel like we could talk like for a couple more hours because all the all the things you're talking about, the practices, I really enjoy. Yeah. So thank thank you. you for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for being a guest. And thanks for actually listening. Chelsea, listen to a couple episodes. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's great content. It's super fun to listen to. And um, tell me a little bit about your uh, your work as a coach and how you're helping people. Well, similar to you, I really, it, it's called, you know, further coaching. And, and, and the idea was to start with dads, but I'm finding like actually more women are interested in listening. So I'll coach anybody. And it's very much what you and I were talking about is using these practices to integrate um, these parts so we can become aligned and we can become whole. And I know that sounds a little bit um, uh, not tangible, 
but it, you know we we have a lot of balls in the air right we have the kids and basically it's from a parenting lens it's not a parenting coaching practice but with children and relationships and work it's sort of a space to take these practices and integrate everything so we can be more authentic why so we can be more effective and sort of make a greater impact in the world presence connection aliveness all of those things and i hope not just so we're super productive i hope so you know the woo woo part of me is saying so we can sort of heal the world and make a greater impact and and hopefully 100 years from now some some kid will be better off because their you know great grandfather worked on themselves or something you know i know that sounds a little well, it's a so little, true i i think um the I'll share just a brief story. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with why it's important to do our own healing. And mm-hmm. it also includes a recommendation. Um, I read Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. I have that book over here. I'm going to read it. Yeah. It's excellent. You'll re- you may really enjoy it too as a father, because as you probably mm-hmm. know, the entire book is a letter to the son. Yes, yes. I have the book. I haven't read it yet. I am a mother to a 14-year-old son also, and he's a, a white male. Mm-hmm. Um, has economic privilege. Um, he's tall. He's healthy. He's straight. You know, mm-hmm. he's got all the makings of you know, privilege and yeah. our nation. And he and I were talking about how it feels to him to have that privilege during an age where so many people are waking up to social justice and racism and the Me Too movement and. And he, from the mouth of babes, says something really important that I think highlights why it's important that we do our healing. He says, you know, I think the best thing I can do in this situation is to be okay with the fact that I feel uncomfortable. Because if I'm sitting at a table with someone and maybe she's a girl and maybe she's black and she's looking at the news and she says, oh, an officer just shot another young black male. If I'm not comfortable with how uncomfortable that makes me, then I'm gonna do something like say, ah, what was wrong with that, that he got shot? What was he doing wrong? You know, he probably, Mm -hmm. you know, committing a crime. I'm gonna say something that's going to hurt her. But if I can just be like uncomfortable, then I can say, oh, I'm really sorry that happened. That's incredibly astute. Yeah. And so the healing that we do is for the benefit of ourselves and for those around us and for the nation as a whole. And that's not woo woo. No, I'm going to take that with me after this and just be like, let's just be uncomfortable. And unfortunately, it is as as we're saying that it, it just happened again. You know, it just just happened. It was a, it was a so-called accident from a taser. You know, we don't. You know, keeps happening. Mm-hmm. Well, on that lovely note, it was so nice to talk to you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much, and uh, enjoy Portland. Thank you. I will see you. Goodbye. And there you have it. That was my conversation with Chelsea King. I thought there was a whole lot in that one, as far as insights and practices really enjoyed hearing about her journey and what she learned and how she applies that in her coaching and if you are going through heartbreak or divorce i think she would be an excellent resource chelsea thanks again appreciate your time and of course it was also fun please reach out to me further.coach 
if you need anything. And we hope to see you next time. Thank you very, very much for listening.